This podcast is sponsored by Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort, but most importantly, your snacks. Deuter has a history of first ascents and alpine routes. Their head of product development even climbed Everest once in jeans. Hashtag not fake news. Deuter is known for fit, comfort, and ventilation. Founded in 1898, Deuter believes in good fitting backpacks, so you can focus on way cooler things like puppies, pocket bacon, and getting sendy, whether at the crag or in the alpine. We're working with BetterHelp to connect you to licensed therapists because even though my advice and opinions are free, I am improvising the whole thing. BetterHelp lets you message a licensed therapist day or night. They'll match you with the perfect therapist for a fraction of the cost of traditional therapy. You know who goes to therapy? Prince Harry, Emma Stone, Jenny Slate, Kesha. Therapy is beautiful. Everyone should go to therapy. Go to betterhelp.com slash climbing to sign up and receive one free week. It helps support the show and it helps support you. This podcast gets support from Gnarly Nutrition, one of the leading protein supplements that tastes way better than they need to because they use quality natural ingredients. So whether you're a working mom who runs circles around your kids on weekends or an unprofessional climber trying to send that 513 in the gym, Gnarly Nutrition has all of your recovery needs. The only question you need to ask yourself is, are you a sucker for anything that tastes like chocolate ice cream? Yeah, me neither. Gnarly Nutrition is designed to enhance your progress. And tastes like a milkshake without all the crap. Have you ever cut an exterior hole in your van? Me neither. Building out a van can be hard work, not to mention that table saws have a funny way of leaving you with fewer fingers than you started with. We'll ask Tommy Caldwell all about it when he returns my emails. I really can't be trusted with power tools since a drywall incident in 2005, but Mark and Anthony can. Roaming Ingenuity is a team of outdoor enthusiasts and tinkerers based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Whether you are looking for a custom van build or just need a little help with installing a roof vent, they can help. P.S. I never actually emailed Tommy Caldwell. I used to struggle with bulimia. It was hard because, I mean, have you ever taken laxatives in the woods? You literally can't predict that shit. But in the end, I learned that people care in all the right ways and that wiping your butt with leaves is never the right answer. You might remember this clip that we used for the trailer in 2018. You might even relate to it. This is Sabine, climber and doctorate student based out of the Southeast. I don't know many humans who thrive purely on coffee and sunshine quite the way that Sabine does, but I gotta say, however she does it, it's working. This girl can hustle as hard as she climbs, and she does it with grit, moxie, and grace. It's been estimated that in America, 30 million people of all gender and ages suffer from an eating disorder, as stated by the National Eating Disorders Association. 
Eating disorders, or EDs, affect all races and ethnic groups, not excluding men. They also have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness, of around 10%. The thing to remember is that having an ED isn't actually a choice, like choosing to skip lunch. It isn't a fad or a diet phase or a lifestyle choice. They are real, complex medical illnesses that really feed off of shame and stigma. The episode that you're about to hear is about eating disorders, body positivity, and just owning your shit, specifically through the lens of climbing and one woman's experience. Thank you to the people who contributed to this episode. You can go to www.fortheloveofclimbing.com and check out the resources available at the end of the transcript. This is episode nine. For me, it's a lack of control. So I was a very competitive swimmer in high school, like pretty damn good. And I was supposed to swim in college. And the university I went to, they actually cut their women's team. Um, you know, like every 18-year-old who swam 20 hours a week, you all of a sudden take them out of that environment. And like, what 18-year-old isn't going to like get a little chubby or whatever, like shit happens. There's no like one moment where I realized when I didn't have a period, I could run fast. For me, it was just the perfect storm of a lot of different things. I had a a roommate in college who'd struggled with anorexia her whole life. This is the first time in my life I'd ever dieted or had ever been even like remotely close to needing to lose any weight. And it was this perfect storm where I just discovered running um, and I was really surprisingly good at running just off the bat and my roommate just taught me all these terrible tricks for losing weight and it just turned into this number game and I just lost control for five years just binging and purging and I ended up purging all sorts of different ways anywhere from laxatives to running 100 miles a week. Sabine described this perfect storm in her life where everything inescapably led her to bulimia, but EDs literally can and do affect anyone. They don't always originate from a past history of abuse or trauma or daddy issues or a million other potential whys and hows. And they're not really selective based on your race, gender, ethnicity, or sexuality. They are pretty much as diverse as the people who have them. I'm a 25-year-old climber from, kind of from Atlanta. I guess my permanent address is in Atlanta right now. And I am finishing up my last year of PT school, which is a three-year doctorate program. So I'll be kind of on the road for the last year doing my clinic rotations. I started climbing when I was about 18. Yeah, about 18, right around that time I finished high school. I started climbing because I really liked a boy, and then I liked climbing way better than I liked the boy, so I kept climbing. And then climbing has been kind of the one constant throughout uh, kind of a nasty couple bouts with bulimia. You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. This is not a climbing podcast. Well, sort of. This is a funny, sad, and somewhat uncomfortable podcast about choosing vulnerability and talking openly about our pain. This podcast is sponsored by Dirt Bike Climbers. Here's the show. Most of you are probably familiar with some of the more common types of EDs, such as anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder. There is a more comprehensive list of disorders at the end of the transcript on the blog. 
there are a lot of people out on social media I feel like like it's their thing they get on social media it's very cathartic for them to talk to a lot of people about it especially people who are like pretty far out from it and I try not to talk about it too much because it's kind of all-consuming it is your life there's literally not an action during your day that isn't calculated or factored into it I feel like the more I would research, the more I bad ideas I would get, especially now where, you know, recovery is a lifelong process. So even now I kind of don't like to look at statistics. I don't like to look at definitions or any of that stuff. Question, does anybody ever tell you to put on a happy face or just be positive when you're in a funk? Yeah, annoying. And okay, sometimes they're right and it works and it's just a matter of shifting gears and attitude. But having an ED is similar to having depression and it is all consuming. So it totally makes sense that Sabine would want to create some space between her social media and personal life. Those obsessive and negative thought patterns really complicated Sabine's life. Signs of having an ED can vary, but for most people, everything becomes heavily calculated. For Sabine, sometimes it was losing control and just binge eating entire jars of peanut butter and then cranking it out at spin class the next morning at 5 a.m. It's always complicated. There's always like so many more factors. Like I can't even explain like how much my day was ruled by like, oh, the walk to my building is like 0.47 miles away. Like that's only 40 calories instead of a whole half mile, which is like 50 calories. I used to be that person in the dining hall who would put peanut butter and jelly on a slice of bread and like scrape the peanut butter off of the bread with my teeth and like not eat the whole slice. It just rules your world. Literally everything you do is a numbers game. It's awful. Secrets have a way of forming really bad habits, and EDs thrive on secrecy. Not only had Sabine devolved into calorie counting and food limiting, but there was so much silence surrounding her ED that while she started to form habits that supported it, she also created habits to protect it. I think the most detrimental one is you learn to lie really well. And um, it impacts a lot of relationships and like people get worried about you. They see you at the gym. They're like, why are you here? Weren't you already here earlier? And you're like, oh, I was, I was looking for you. It would get to this point where if I sat still for too long, I would panic and I would make up reasons why I needed to go. The university I went to had this huge lake. If I was out at the lake with my friends swimming around, wasn't enough. I would, I would be like, guys, like I forgot I had some homework to do. Like somebody needs to drive me back right now. I need to do an hour at the gym. Being like outside wasn't enough. To this day, I like refuse to play guard games because it got in my mind like I was sitting and like sitting isn't good like you can't sit sitting is not active you're not burning any calories it just destroyed a lot of relationships at this point sabine is pretty dang active there are a lot of active people who consider shedding weight in order to gain a more competitive edge we mentioned it in the last episode Endurance climbing is a sport that demands an extremely high strength to weight ratio. And what winds up happening is a lot of climbers choose to lose weight instead of building muscle strength. In a lot of ways, climbing is considered an active and very healthy sport, but at the risk of sacrificing your muscles and overall mental and physical health, some climbers work really hard to lose weight in order to perform better. But what's the real cost? 
you're in such a bad mood when all you're consumed by is I haven't done enough pitches or I haven't climbed hard enough or I haven't moved enough today. Like I haven't burned enough calories and you're out like freaking horse pens, which people would kill to climb at. Yeah. And I'm absolutely flabbergasted by some of the people that like stuck with me through all of that because that must have been fucking annoying. And I mean, you do stupid shit. Like I remember being like, ooh, if I'm cold, I'll burn more calories. No, it's okay. I don't need two pairs of pants. I'm fine. And like you just shiver your way through the day and then you're miserable and you don't climb. And then if you don't climb, it's this self-loathing cycle you get into. Sabine was dating somebody who, at the time, was probably the best person for her to be with. He was really stable, and most importantly, he normalized food for her. God bless that guy. He just normalized food as best he could, which is the best thing I think you can do for any person. It's not like a, oh, hooray, like, what can I make you? It's so good, you're hungry, like... Fuck that shit. I already feel weird enough about it. I know what I'm doing is everybody knows what they're doing is wrong and you just can't stop it. You just spiral. Well, it's an addiction. Yeah, you lose control. Uh, Yeah, it's an addiction to a number. It's an addiction to the scale. It's an addiction to run. I ran six miles yesterday. I have to run six today or else I don't do as well. Like uh, if I eat 700 calories worth of chips today, I have to run seven miles tomorrow morning. Yeah. And it was just all consuming. Like, I feel like I missed out on five years of my life. I felt like I missed out on college. I missed out on like eating Zaxby's when I was hungover or like dollar slice, dollar beer night after climbing. I never enjoyed it while I was there. Like all I could think about is, oh my God, you know, I haven't eaten all day because I want this one slice of pizza after climbing. And then you eat it and you feel like a total piece of shit. Relationships with food, like any other, are complicated, as are the side effects. Specific to Sabine's ED, which is characterized by intake of large amounts of food accompanied by a sense of loss of control, some of the side effects of bulimia can include inflamed and sore throat, worn tooth enamel, esophagus rupture, acid reflux, dehydration, and hormonal disturbance. And if it gets really bad, it will create an imbalance of electrolyte levels, which can actually cause a stroke or cardiac arrest. Other long-term side effects can include high blood pressure and cholesterol levels, heart disease, and type 2 diabetes. The other part of being bulimic and having no body fat and running 100 miles a week and climbing all this stuff is you're tired all the time. I used to fall asleep standing up, like not kidding. I fell asleep at this boulder called Burst of Joy at Rocktown, standing up, leaning against a rock. I used to fall asleep in the most ridiculous positions. I mean, anytime I, my body got the chance to stop, I was out. It was bad. Like, I was falling asleep driving. I was falling asleep in class. I was falling asleep taking exams. Like, I used to put my head down in the middle of an exam and, like, take a nap. Not only are you tired all of the time, but your risk of osteoporosis is also a lot higher. The medical complications that result from bulimia can cause severe dehydration, damage to endocrine glands, and ultimately will lower your bone density. This was something that Sabine had to find out the hard way. So yeah, you have the brittle bones of a 65-year-old woman. And I remember running on the treadmill, I was was 20, and uh, I got this like hip pain one day. It wouldn't go away, and I 
you know, I'd been popping Advil for all these insane overuse injuries over the past years. Like I ran through a broken ankle. I ran through a torn something in my knee and never even got diagnosed. And then I ran through this hip pain for two or three weeks in my left hip and it was bad. Like I was dragging my leg. And like, of course I wasn't going to drive to campus because I only lived half a mile away. Why would I waste burning 50 calories driving to campus when I could just walk there? And I remember just dragging my leg to campus and back and like getting on the treadmill and trying to run. And one day the like hip pain was too bad and I hadn't taken any Advil, so I couldn't really run through it. So I got in my car and I was like, God, I'm going to go home and I'm going to take some Advil and then I'm going to come back and run. But I got in my car and I was like, oh my God, I can't push my clutch in. Like I literally can't move my leg. So I called my dad and my dad was like, okay, you just need to go to the doctor. Like you probably hurt something. You run a lot. You know, you're hard on your body, like very gentle dad-like. Um, he knew I was just screwing my body up. Within five seconds, my MD weighed me, asked me how much I ran, did one test on my leg and was like, you broke your hip. Like you need an MRI. I fell asleep in the MRI immediately. No earplugs needed. And they called me and they were like, crutches, don't do anything. If you actually fracture this hip all the way through, this is a bone in your body that can and will die. The hip bone and a bone in your hand are like the two bones in your body. If you break them, like they, they die. So I was 20 and I turned 21 with a broken hip at the red because of course I climbed through it um, like an idiot. I went to Waco with a broken hip. And to this day, I have really bad left leg issues. Like my left leg is an inch smaller around than my right leg. Um, I don't know, it's just depressing. Like you're 20 and you have a broken hip. And then your metabolism takes an awful hit from it too. Like it's taken years for my metabolism to bounce back. Body essentially goes into survival mode. Laxatives were a huge problem for me for a long time. It was a thing I tried to hide and I have to get colonoscopies every six months as a 25 year old because I wrecked my colon so much. Just laxatives, laxatives, laxatives. I have done things like shit the bed and pooped myself out climbing because, you know, laxative, like, you don't effing know when it's going to hit you. It's just frustrating to know that everything that I was doing to myself has impacted me just so much more, like, down, down the line. Climbing is like the one constant through all of this. I think I put a lot of pressure on eventually. I was like, oh, you know, you should send. If you're lighter, you send harder. You can crimp harder. And then it turned into this thing that was like routine. And like it wasn't necessarily because I loved climbing, but it was a routine. Like that's what we did. We went outside. We climbed on the weekends. And it's only been in the past year or two that I feel like I have really come out of the throes of everything. Like I still struggle you know, I had a really good day of climbing the day before and was like, oh my God, you're not going to climb that hard again if you eat an entire box of pasta. Like, that's the kind of stuff that just runs through your mind. Who knows why? But the climbing was the, the one thing that was always there for me. You know, when I broke my hip, yeah, you, you can't run, you can't get on the elliptical, you can't do anything, but like, yeah, I, I can hangboard and I can do pull-ups and I can do that kind of stuff. And, and climbing has become one of those things where like, you are so rewarded for being healthy. You're just so rewarded for being good to your body that it was one of those things that I definitely grew to love the whole process behind climbing. And when you fail at climbing, you succeed at something else. If you fail at one thing, then you kind of succeed at another. Like if you fail at this long route because you're pumped and you're tired and or you didn't pull hard enough or you can't pull hard enough, you've succeeded and that you've learned more about yourself and what you need to do in order to do it. There's a process with every 
every sport. Like there are just as many variables when it comes to running or when it comes to anything else. But climbing is one of those ones where like I've come to love the process. I think that in a lot of ways, we're still pretty surprised when we hear about eating disorders among climbers. And maybe it's just sort of assumed that aside from the occasional injury, climbers are all young and healthy and gunning for it. Rock climbing as a whole is considered one of the healthiest, most active sports, both mentally and physically. And that isn't an untrue statement, but it also isn't completely accurate either. Even if you haven't been climbing for long, chances are that you know someone who has struggled with an eating disorder. In fact, I am willing to bet money on it, and I don't have a lot of money to be making bets on. Confronting an eating disorder, whether it's you or someone you love, means being brave enough to recognize that there is a life-threatening problem. And yeah, it's a process. Climbing, recovery, all of it. Having an eating disorder isn't a choice, but challenging it and the monsters that it manifests is. One day I was like, you know what, I'm a fucking adult and I am good enough in my own skin now that I see what I need out of the world. The day that it all just kind of kicked off was when I like kind of just nutted up enough to like kick myself in the ass and be like, you are going to be fine if you don't run today and you're going to be fine if you're single. It's fine. Like, it's going to be fine. Just eat the cookie. Like, I started climbing for myself and through that, I started doing everything else for myself. And it all just kicked off with leaping off into the unknown and just nutting up enough to kind of discovering the world without a crutch. I have struggled with eating disorders since I was 15. I'm 33 now. It comes and it goes, you know? I know bodies don't matter. What you look like does not matter. But for some reason, gaining those five to 10 pounds spins me around a million thousand times. So I'm here and I'm still dealing with it. But this time it's more me wanting to maintain things so that I continue to climb how I have been. And it's definitely a fight. Climbing helped me realize just how out of control my eating disorder had gotten. Put on my shoes one day and got on a V-Zero I used to run laps on. Halfway up, I started seeing black spots. By the time I got to the top, my head was spinning. And my total intake for that day after working a 12-hour ICU shift? 480 calories. My climbing partner helped me out of that hole. Even now, he still checks almost every day to make sure that I've eaten enough, that I'm not filing back into the same patterns because they're easy to go back to. My biggest triumph so far? My weight hasn't changed in two months. I have reasons to fight, and that's all thanks to climbing. So I still struggle with body dysmorphia. It's difficult to remember what I look like or am in my head, or believe what people say in regards to how small or fit or beautiful I am, especially when I'm surrounded by and admire really fit athletic people. I guess basically it's difficult to maintain a sense of self when I'm surrounded by people in general. I think it's because I tend to place others before me, even to the point of making myself disappear in my own head. But instead of finding an answer or a single point of perspective, I just let it flow. As in, it's okay to feel what I feel as long as it doesn't become detrimental to what I need or want to get done. 
I just wanted to share that I struggled with an eating disorder starting in high school and while I'm way more compassionate to myself now than ever before, I still struggle with these things, especially when life gets rough, which of course it does. I think growing to appreciate my body for what it's able to do and where it's able to take me has empowered me on levels that I never thought were possible. The biggest issue I've dealt with in climbing is the feeling of imposter syndrome. And this often has to do with how I and how I perceive others to view my body. I'm curvy and athletic, which is not often the lithe, spidery, and tiny look I often see of other female climbing sensations. This has made me feel self-conscious when I'm not strong enough to pull certain moves and then I feel self-critical of how I'm built. This isn't something I've entirely gotten over, but I believe that recognizing that I feel this way and talking about it with others helps open the dialogue by surrounding myself with partners that don't define my success by my body or my feats in climbing have made me feel more comfortable and successful on and off the wall. I'm not naturally athletic and it's taken a lot of work to get to where I'm at. And then I see all these amazing athletes on social media and in my gym and they're in the best shape ever. And there's even weekend warriors that are just like sculpted. And here I am trying to hang with the big guys and just running around with my jiggly little legs and a big old butt. It just like sticks out, it's not muscular, it makes leggings really hard to find, and it's just there. You know, and you move down a little bit and you get to my hips, and then there's these things, and they're just like saddlebags? Like saddlebags. What how do you get these? Where do they come from? Why don't they go away? They never go away, no matter what I do. They're just these pockets of jelly, and I don't know what to do with them, but they just, they're to annoy me and uh, frustrate me that I don't look like or climb as hard as the people without big butts and saddlebags, but maybe it's my big butt that's pulling me off the wall when I try to climb hard things. I looked over and there's this typical gym crusher girl in her like racer back tank top and she could do stuff like upside down and dyno to things. I didn't even know what a dyno was. I just knew this girl like could fly. And instead of being like awed by her climbing ability, I remember just staring at her back muscles and her biceps and her forearms and being like, oh, I will never be a climber. If that's what happens, if you like get these muscles, I don't want it. And I remember being really bummed because my like body dysmorphia was gonna ruin all this fun I was having at the gym. But then moving from that and like now, now that I climb all the time and it's such a huge part of my life and my body has changed so much and I'm like proud of my muscles. And it's so helpful dealing with body dysmorphia and body image issues to learn to just love that your body does this rad thing for you. But I did have the experience where I went and visited some friends who I hadn't seen since I started climbing. And one of my friends was like, oh my God, you got so buff. Like not like gross buff, like not gross, but like super buff, holy shit. And I was really taken aback because what do you mean gross buff? Like how could my muscles be gross? They do all this cool stuff for me. And then I was like, caught myself like looking in the mirror and wondering like, am I that girl now from the gym that people are looking at and are like, oh my God, I do not want to climb because I don't want man arms or I don't want like crazy big blood veins or something because my own friends were telling me that I was so buff, but not gross buff. I was like, well, you know, shit, I don't want to be gross 
buff. I do want to climb hard. And then it became this battle in my mind of, okay, I want to climb hard. And the trade-off might be getting gross buff and, you know, having big back muscles or big shoulder muscles or whatever. And just trying to come to terms with my body isn't going to look the way our society thinks that women's bodies are supposed to look. And my body is going to be able to do really cool things and take me places with really cool people and I'll get to experience all these amazing views, like sunsets off of like Takis and really fun campfire conversations. And I'll get to feel this dopamine dump in my brain if I like am able to push past my body dysmorphia. Just feeling that rush of like projecting a route and then finally sending it. And you're just like, oh, like my body did that. That's so cool. That's so much more exciting and validating and worth it to me than when I would meet my calorie goal or be the skinny one at the party or something. And now I'm like, I want to be the one who can like put up top ropes and the one who's strong and encouraging and sends my projects and gets to feel that like celebratory rush where I'm just like, oh my God, that was amazing and so worth all the work I put into it. Even if my muscles are scary now or like I'm the buffest girl at the party, <laughs> like it's so much better and so much more fun. Body positivity can be a really hard concept to really understand and accept. I mean, I've struggled with this idea of being happy with my body for a really long time. And honestly, I still do struggle, especially when I'm climbing. I don't envision wanting to have this model body. Like I envision wanting to be these badass women who can send these amazing routes and have strong and lean bodies. And in the outdoor community, like there's so many of those women. And that's kind of what I aspire to be, a badass strong woman. And then there's this image that I have of what that looks like. And sometimes I see these women in the climbing community who are just lean toned and so damn strong. And I'm constantly comparing myself to them and thinking like, should I even be here at the same crag that they are trying to climb the same routes? Like, am I even strong enough? So I'm just always struggling with how my body is and where I want it to be. I mean, I want it to be strong and lean and what I envision an outdoor body should look like. So I've had this idea in my head for a really long time. And then a wonderful woman came into my life who is a dear friend of mine now. And the idea of body positivity changed completely for me. I mean, she's this badass, strong, skilled woman that I've always looked up to, but she doesn't necessarily fit the stereotype that I had in my head. And she taught me that it's not about who was the strongest, who was the best, and instead, it's about having fun and trying hard and being with people that you love and can support you and encourage you. And most importantly, she taught me that it's about feeling good in your body. If you feel strong and love what your body can do for you, like get you to the crag, up the rock, across rivers, like whatever it may be, I mean, our bodies do so much for us. And now I tell myself every day that my body is a temple. And sometimes I still do struggle with body image, but I love my body in all the places that it can take me. And I'm so fortunate to have a capable body and to love what it does for me. I went through an eating disorder that took me about four years to recover from. It's uh, something that we don't talk about as much, but we should, because um, it's a sport very prone to inducing people towards this kind of behavior. So I took a little while to finally sit down and record this, um, I guess because talking about eating disorders is not really easy. 
which is silly because it should be something that we can talk about. Like, I don't think that it should be a taboo subject anymore. The thing about eating disorders is it's not just physical, like it's a mental struggle. I would look in the mirror and I was just never really happy with myself. And so I would just choose not to eat thinking that I would feel better and that maybe I would be more lovable. But you know, the thing about it is that it wasn't even just that I wanted to lose weight or wanted to be skinny. It was the one thing that I could control. And I got really bad. You know, I got to the point where I would almost pass out while doing silks or rock climbing. It was making me not as strong as I should have been. So luckily I got out of that relationship. I was finally learning to love myself for me and got a hold of my life. I had told myself that when I finally was able to kind of overcome that and be happy with who I was and where I was no matter what, that I would get a tattoo. So I did. I got the NETA symbol, so the National Eating Disorder Association, with a blue lotus. Lotuses bloom up out of the mud, so for me it kind of symbolizes overcoming obstacles um, and blooming through them. So I have this tattoo now on my side, and I think for me it's just a really good reminder of what I've been through and what I've overcome. And so anytime I look in the mirror and I want to think negative thoughts about myself, I see that and I'm reminded of everything that I've been through. It helps me open up more about my past struggles and I think that it helps other people because you never know who else is struggling with it. And if you're open with them to talk to them about your past and be like, yeah, you know, if you're still struggling with it, like it's okay, you're not actually alone. I remember one time I had only had Triscuits and an apple all day and I collapsed with stomach pains, but I became a rock climber. But when you're climbing, you're burning so many calories, you need even more food. And I didn't recognize that because I was thin. I continued to feed my eating disorder through climbing. And I think it really affected my performance, um, my relationships with my climbing partners, especially living on the road with someone who expects you to perform at a high level and you just can't because all you had was potatoes that day. And they don't understand, they don't see that. It's um, another reason to hate yourself and another reason to keep the eating disorder going. Um, I'm really working hard to force myself to eat more, especially when I'm climbing, to eat a lot of healthy foods, but not really care about if it's healthy or not, just to eat, and that's my main goal. And I think when I can get to a place where I can go climbing and have enough energy to do what I want to do and have fun with my friends without feeling left behind because I'm so low in energy, I think that's when I'll know I've truly made it. <laughs> anyway, love you, Kathy. You're such a bright light, and... I'm so glad you're doing this podcast. It's so cool. I am proud to say now that I sought professional help for my mental health issues. I am in remission from anorexia. I kind of, I, I hate the word survivor, but I am an eating disorder, uh, I don't know, kick-asser. <laughs> and... I love my job in the climbing community and I climb again and I get up on the wall and I make friends and I don't panic and that's pretty amazing. I think wall climbing can be so positive, like learning to view your body as this like amazing tool who does this cool shit for you and pulls you up these really beautiful climbs. Climbing can be so positive and all of that positivity can so easily be undone with like social media. It seems like the trend lately is just climbing pictures or just another advertising model. And so it's less about 
what grade that climber might be able to climb or like how much work he or she has put into it. And like, for me, climbing was this cool escape where I could go climbing and not think about the way I look and not think about how I've been pressured since I was a little girl to be beautiful. Disney movies and our whole society and basically everything we're like told from the time we're little is that like our value comes from our beauty. And like the main character, the main woman is always beautiful. And that's like her defining characteristic. And I know that was part of my eating disorder and my body image issues is like, I don't look like a supermodel. I look like a person. And I thought that that was wrong because all I've ever seen in media was like these beautiful women. And I thought I was supposed to be them. And then climbing happened and all of a sudden I could just exist out in the woods with like no receptions and just drink beer and goof off and go climbing. And my body felt so cool because it could take me to these beautiful places and I've watched sunsets off of multi-pitches and slept on crash pads with my friends. And climbing was the one thing where I didn't have to worry about being beautiful. And what mattered was like, was I a safe belayer? Was I a good friend? Was I fun to be around? And I didn't have to worry about being beautiful. Like that was not the requirement. And now when I look at social media, it's like, oh, it's not enough that you climb hard. You also have to be hot. Like you've also got to be like a babe. I don't know. I was talking to someone and she was talking about how when someone's taking pictures of her, she'll have to make sure like the way she's climbing doesn't like obscure her face and she doesn't put her arm up above her face and block the camera view or whatever. And I was just like, fuck that. I just want to rock climb. All I care about when I'm climbing is like the movement and the flow and sending hopefully. And there's like all this pressure to like prove on social media that we're cool and and it just sucks because I I want climbing to be about like how much effort I've put into it and like the community I have in climbing and it's lately becoming just another tool for like beauty brands and like we all want like our sports bras to match our cute pants and like our harness has to be like clean and I don't know I like look at those pictures of those like models climbing and I like don't see fat rolls hanging over their harness which I see when I look down if I'm like hanging on a route and I'm like ah fuck there's my fat hanging over my harness and I used to not like worry about it too much. Now there's just more pressure, I feel like, to like be beautiful while I'm climbing when I used to just climb. I suffer with anorexia and bulimia and have since the beginning of high school. Um, I ran track at the time, but was actually removed from the track team for being so anorexic. What I think about is I've had an important discovery that my eating disorders are emotional manifestations of my anxiety and depression. Essentially, when I feel out of control, I can control my food intake and size. So fast forward, rock climbing now changed my perspective on my body. I have found strong beautiful rather than small. And to be strong, I have to be nourished. And to be nourished, I have to digest good food. While I'm definitely not cured and I'm not really sure if I ever will be, I am healthy and I am getting stronger. Thank you for letting me share my story. I chose to take a gap year and fill it with everything but me. But when I started the tale, the spaces were all I wanted to see. The letters were all wrong. I hated how I write. But the spaces between the words were a stunning, intriguing white. And so I figured that my talent lies in between. So why bother about the letters when there are such blanks to be seen? I eagerly developed this wonderful talent I saw, the fulfilling in-betweenness absorbing any flaw. If I tell you about my gap year or describe who I am, it's three times long and hard, the space key that I slam. 
the story of what was happening. And then my hand started dappening. The font of my writing, one strong and bold, blurred to pencil strokes, ghostly intruders in the holy gap's wide stronghold. On my every train of thought, a singular announcement echoes on. Mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap. Subconsciousness subway headquarters, monotonous jargon. My legs racing to keep up with the train's carts, keeping my feet drumming along until my knees blow to shards. I chose to take a gap here to open up my view, but into the gap I tumbled. Now my perspectives are few. The gap's sides sharp and cold at contact. But I shall recover them all, cushioning the hurtful impact. Thus I'll close off my gap here, close it off in style. I'll start out by, don't get this wrong, making my legs cross that extra mile. This is something I wrote a couple of years ago about how I got obsessed with the thinness of my own body. The gap I'm talking about is the well-known thigh gap. It wasn't about body image. It was about challenging myself and willpower and pushing through obvious cries from your body that you're in need. So I decided to just stop eating and I pushed it further and further. And to this day, the decision I made as a stupid, bored teenager who thought she could make herself more interesting by becoming complicated and by having issues have really affected the course of her own life ever since. Climbing was this new challenge. It was this new thing that I could challenge myself with and it could take up the space of this eating behavior addiction. Climbing was going to save me. Even though I still have no idea what I'm doing, things are happening. And if you'd like to help out and support this podcast, please check out patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N, where you can sponsor us for as little as $1 per episode. It really helps keep this podcast going. And I'm so grateful for all of your help. Special shout out to Cameron McAlpine because he makes this thing sound good. You're listening to For the Love of Climbing podcast. A huge thank you to Deuter, one of the leading backpack brands that will help you hit the trails with confidence and comfort. And a big thank you to Gnarly Nutrition for supporting this podcast and the messages that we share. Gnarly Nutrition supports a community of vulnerability and equality and tastes like a milkshake without all the crap. And a big shout out to Roaming Ingenuity, a team of outdoor enthusiasts and tinkerers based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Support companies who support this podcast. We couldn't do it without them. If you liked what you heard, you can leave a review on iTunes or give us a like. Like all good things, you can find us on the internet. Until next time.